It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot be bad, great save by Timko. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. Good Friday morning, happy Friday, feel good Friday, TGIF, whatever you want to call it. Hope you are having a great morning so far, and your day only gets better from here. It is a rent to one sermon for one final time this week. I am Karen Sermon, Jamie Dodd in for vacationing Scott Rintoul. Jamie, we made it, it's Friday, and I realized about... I realized about an hour ago, it's Friday the 13th. I know, right? It's it's kind of flown under the radar. I feel like there's so much else going on. People haven't really made a big deal of this one. Okay, so do you make a big deal of the Friday no, the 13th? Like, are I do you, not. Uh, Freddy Krueger's going to come out? Is that Friday the 13th, I think? <laughs> no, I don't think it is. <laughs> or is that Jason? I believe that's Nightmare on Elm Street, you're thinking oh, of Freddy, Freddy Krueger. I think Jason's Friday the 13th. Yes. I don't watch scary movies because I get scared and I have nightmares, so I don't watch them. Um, but I was thinking like, oh, well, people are superstitious. Superstitious. If you and I were, well, what could go wrong on the show today? So hopefully there's no well, let's black fi- Let's find out. Yeah, hopefully no black cat that walked under some sort of ladder or something like that. Um, Let's set up the show because just like yesterday, another busy show for us today. Coming up in about 30 minutes time, we're going to talk a little baseball. Jamie Baseball columnist with USA Today, Bob Nightingale. He is going to talk about the Field of Dreams game from Dyersville, Iowa last night. Then in the second hour, we're going to speak with uh, one of the co-hosts of the Writer's Block on the Fan 590 in Toronto, Stephen Brunt. Going to cover a variety of topics with Stephen as always, especially Bill. C218. And if you don't know what that bill is and why it's important, Jamie, you and I are going to get into it uh, throughout the show and prior to speaking with Steven. And then in the third hour of the show, right off the top, I'm pretty excited about this because, Jamie, for a second straight day, we're going to speak to a gold medalist from Tokyo. And a third straight day, we're going to speak to an actual yeah. medalist from Tokyo, the best athlete in the world. He gets that title. He is Canadian. Damian Warner is going to join the show after his win, talk about what his life has been ba- has been like since uh, winning gold medal and being back in Canada. From all that I've heard and read, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for Damian. Yeah, I can imagine. When you ascend to the title of world's greatest athlete, you're <laughs> going to get some extra attention. You're going to have some media requests, uh, you know, us among them. So I think it has been a very, very busy time for Damian Warner, but can't wait to chat with him. Yeah, absolutely. So we had Evan Dumphy on Wednesday. We had Julia Grosso yesterday, who was just so endearing. And we're going to have Damian Warner today on the show. Then in the bottom of the third hour, we're going to speak to Julio Caravana, color analyst for the Lions Radio Network, uh, who was in Calgary last night calling the game between the Lions and Stampeders. Lots of talking points coming out of that game uh, last night for both teams. The Lions get their first win since October 5th, 2019. So they're coming home for their home opener 1-1, one one, while the Stampeders are 0-2. Bo Levi Mitchell 0-2 for the first time in his career with the Stampeders. Uh, this morning, questions about his health, his trust in the offense. We're going to get into all of that with Julio. Of course, he is a former quarterback in the CFL, Jamie, so he can look at the mechanics of Bo Levi Mitchell and maybe see what is wrong with the Stampeders pivot, but it was a very busy night for August in the sporting world. Usually, you know, Jamie, we're struggling for things to talk about, but my remote control got a uh, workout last night to yours as well yeah it was a great night it was you know there was some big big time kind of marquee events going on right obviously the mm-hmm. field of dream games mm-hmm. uh, Bianca Andreescu was in action the Blue Jays were playing the CFL was on there was a lot to pay attention to last night which is rare for an August <laughs> a random you know Thursday 
in August in, in Canada for sports. It's funny because, you know, you did it last year the, producing the show during COVID, which added its own struggles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But usually August is, it's a little bit of um, a dead month in sports. And I mean that just in terms of topics, like, and the amount of topics you can talk about. We work in two Canadian markets that want to talk about hockey probably 75%, if not 90% of the time. And so you're trying to find, you know, some maybe grandiose ideas that you can talk about. But actually, we have some actual stuff to talk about that actually happened on the court, on the field uh, yesterday. So it's pretty uh, <laughs> it's pretty good for us. What caught your attention first, though, last night? So I was not expecting necessarily to... I don't know, be that engaged with the Field of Dreams game. Like, I thought, okay. oh, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and, and see how it looks, and then I'll probably change the channel. But I will admit, in spite of myself, I did get drawn in. I enjoyed that. I, I wasn't solely watching it. I was definitely flipping around yeah. between a bunch of the different things were going on. But I, I got caught up in the Field of Dreams game. The The pageantry around it was pretty mm -hmm. cool. I mean, and I'm not, like, I'm not even a Field of Dreams super fan or anything like that. Like, I don't have any particular emotional connection to the movie, but mm -hmm. it was cool cool to see them play in that venue i'll admit like when the players walk out through the core and after kevin costner that was pretty cool i got right. a little bit of goosebumps there again did not expect that at all i mean but the big thing was it helped that it was an awesome game right like that that's what the, the novelty got me to put it on but the fact that it was a really good game between two good teams is what kept me watching for longer Mm -hmm. So I tuned in probably in about the fifth inning because I had to do some running around. Uh, so I didn't get to see the start of the game. But I, obviously when I got home, I went on Twitter just to kind of catch up what the reaction had been. And you kind of had two sides of it. You had either the people who were captivated, like you said, from the nostalgia and the pageantry of it all. And then you had the other side that people were like, well, I didn't like the movie. Thought it was the premise was a little hokey. Thought the premise for this game was a little hokey and turned the channel. Like, yeah, you kind of had the polar opposites when you had people who wanted to watch the game versus it. I know, Greg, you're a big baseball fan. You tuned into the game tonight. How did you think it all went down? I'm kind of on the similar lines of, of Jamie, what he was saying, because I'm not a huge Field of Dreams guy either. Uh, it's definitely geared at the older crowd, I think, because it's uh, an older movie. Uh, mm. And and baseball, they're kind of just playing into their strength at this point. Uh, I don't think it was as big of a, a move for the league. You know, I, I guess it's their first really big sort of winter classic style event that they're trying right. to emulate. But I, I really don't think they're breaking any, uh, <laughs> breaking through any, uh, you know, glass ceilings here with this, this type of move. I think it was definitely uh, a move that they, they wanted to pander a little bit to that, that subset of baseball fans that just love and eat up that nostalgia. I, I did find it fascinating. I thought the intro was really cool and the game itself was awesome, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was drawn in as much as some other people were. So when I tuned in, the sun was just starting to go down over the uh, right field, left field bleachers, third baseline bleachers. And that was pretty cool venue to see the cornfields and the outfield and see the pink sky. And it just it was all really cool. It also looked a little fake to me. Did anyone else think the corn looked fake in the outfield? <laughs> <laughs> like it did. It, like there was this, there was one point where there was a, um, a close up of the center fielder, Yankees or White Sox doesn't really matter. And I'm thinking that looks like a green screen behind him almost like it really did look fake. But I, you know what? I understand it. It's uh, they made a field with corn and corn itself. I guess the corn stalks can look a little fake. <laughs> you've got your uh, you've got your tinfoil conspiracy hat on, Karen. I love it. We got to We got to get an investigation into this. Was that real corn behind them? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's what our Friday show should be about. The game was it's actually played in a studio in Florida. Yeah, somewhere. it was on a, was on a sound <laughs> stage. It was all, I, all everyone <laughs> tweeting about it that was there. They were in on it too. Oh man, actually that'd be the biggest coup ever if that was actually the case. Uh, no, it was it was pretty cool to see, and it just it did strike me at one point. It looked a little fake. Uh, but you've seen this in sports before, right? Like this is like Greg, like you said, this is kind of baseball's first kind of big foray into this, and it sounds like they're gonna do more of these going forward. I saw it was only the first Field of Dreams type of thing. And I know Richard Deitch with the Fan 590 in Toronto did tweet out today. He said, um, at Son of the Bronx tells him to expect monster viewership numbers from Fox coming from this game in relation to regular regular season games. Uh, Son of the Bronx is Douglas Pucci with the Nielsen TV ratings. So he will know. We'll get those numbers when they come in. But you've seen this with college basketball jamie they've done games on an aircraft carrier in san diego we've seen it with yep. lake tahoe this past year which had its challenges <laughs> because of the uh-huh, sun uh-huh, uh uh-huh. with the nhl we've seen base uh baseball stadiums hold uh football games like the yankees they've they would hold a notre dame game i think about against army maybe one time they did that we've seen the dodgers have a hockey game in it like do these mm, do these catchy type of venues with sporting events catch your attention? Because to me, I'm kind of, especially with the NHL Winter Classic and any of these outdoor, what do they call it, the outdoor series, I'm over it. I don't care. Yeah, it's tough to say. It really depends on the specifics of the venue, right? Like the Lake Tahoe one was interesting for sure because it was something new. It wasn't just, you know, a, another big football stadium, right? And mm-hmm. even within the the Winter Classic venues, there's been some that are really cool, right? Like, yeah, I want to see them play at Wrigley Field. That's interesting, right? That's, a, right? that's an incredible, beautiful venue. Historic, you know, other outdoor games, like the one here in Vancouver, the Heritage Classic, eh, don't really care because BC <laughs> well, Place it is, wasn't outdoor. Is just, it's just a big concrete dome. Who cares? It's not that exciting. Right. And it wasn't even outdoors. So it does really depend on the venue, you know, but I also will say as much as I think sometimes the really hardcore sports fans and people like you and I who are in the in the media, we can get a little bit jaded about it. It does seem like they're pretty consistently successful, though. Right. Like this, the Field of Dreams game, by all accounts, was an incredible success for Fox. Right. And I know Mm -hmm. that. The Winter Classic, there's a reason that the NHL has has expanded it and, and pushed it so much. It's because it's very, very successful for the league. And I think other leagues and other sports are going to look at these examples and they're going to try to get in on it. They're going to try to figure out a way to do their own kind of made-for-TV novelty events because as much as sometimes it's a little much and we roll our eyes, it, it makes money for them. It works. It does, and it's all about money down the uh, all the bottom line and money in the end of things. And I remember Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. I think they played Azteca Stadium in Mexico, and then played like a massive soccer stadium in Johannesburg in South Africa. They were doing this kind of tour, and yeah, it's a cool thing. It's just when you have too many of them, I think it kind of loses its um, luster. But again, it's also about families too. Like Jamie, you think about this. You know, taking your little daughter if you had a chance to go to. I don't know, like to go watch the Canucks play at Empire Field or something like that. Like, sure. you know, it's a cool thing to do. Yeah, with her. absolutely. She'd be really like, you know, looking around, seeing the spectacle kind of thing. So it, it is more about the families than you and I in the media doing these things. So the game couldn't probably couldn't have gone off any better. Yankees get a couple of home runs. They have a comeback they and the top and the, the top of the half, uh, top of the ninth inning. And then Tim Anderson gets to the dish. He walks it off for the White Sox. It really was a storybook ending for a game that was in a storybook location. Like, they well, really I mean, asked for a better game. 
yeah, it was the perfect ending. I loved the just the sheer number of home runs that the two teams hit into the corn because that was a pretty cool visual as well, seeing the ball yes. go in there. Um, but, I mean, it was a perfect ending, not just from a narrative sense, right, to have a team mm-hmm. walk it off with a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. That was awesome. It was a perfect ending from my perspective, too, because I hate the Yankees and I want to see the Yankees lose. So when they took the lead in the ninth inning, I wasn't loving that very much, and I was very, very happy uh, that Tim Anderson was able to put them away in the, in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, one other story we've been following this week is obviously the National Bank Open in Toronto and Montreal. We were disappointed two days ago when the Canadian men were ousted from the tournament. And then yesterday, all the uh, eyes were on Bianca Andreescu yep. because she was the lone Canadian left in either tournament to hopefully win the title. She was the defending champion. Jamie, there are three things that are guaranteed in life. Death, taxes, and Bianca Andreescu going yeah. to a third set. <laughs> I tweeted yep. that out last night because I'm like, okay, here we go. This match had everything. It had a comeback in the first set. She was down facing uh, Jabor serving for the set. She comes back and wins in a tie break. Then there's a lengthy rain delay. Then there's a Bianca. Uh-oh, is she hurt? Mm-hmm. Looks like she rolled her ankle. Then there's another rain delay. And then there's Bianca getting trounced in the third set to lose. Uh, it's kind of everything that you expect from a Bianca and rescue match. Yeah, it was a it was a roller coaster. There's no doubt about it. And it, even in the first set, which she came back to win, I mean, it was a battle for her, right? And she needed yeah. she needed to dig deep, and she needed to get some lucky breaks even, right? With, you know, balls that Jabor hit that they end up hitting the net and staying on her side and, and being a, an unforced error, but they were just, you know, millimeters away from, from mm-hmm. punishing Andreescu, right? She needed, she needed a little bit of luck to escape from that first set with the win, and you could just feel, and then especially when she did have, you know, the medical timeout to look at her toe, you could kind of feel like i don't know if she's gonna be able to get this back right and yeah. the the hope is you know this it, that makes it a bigger story than just the fact that she lost one match right is is this another lingering thing <sighs> that's going to hamper her down the road that's the concern yeah apparently she's, apparently she's got blisters on both toes big toes right now and i can only imagine how difficult that is to play because for yep. those that didn't see she took her shoe off right away and the wrapping on her sh- on her toe like i can only imagine how tightly it's put into her shoe and just puts pressure on the rest of her foot. But this is the story about Bianca Andreescu. She had the run to the U.S. Open. She won the Rogers Cup two years ago. And since then, and even during that run, I mean, she had tape every muscle that she had. I think she had shoulder tape, Jamie. She had her quad taped up, her ankles taped up. Like, this is a storyline that I think is always going to be associated with Bianca Andreescu. I understand she's young, and I understand that she's still got a long career to go. But I hope she has a long career to go because I've seen this one with Juan Martin Del Potro when he beat Roger Federer in the U.S. Open back in, I think, 2010. And I'm going back and dating myself. And for those that don't know, like Juan Martin Del Potro was an up-and-coming kid and he comes back in a five-set match and beats Roger Federer. And we're like, okay, is this the next guy to make the next step? And chronic injuries throughout his entire career derailed it. And basically a career that was super promising ended up being just kind of middling because of all these careers. And this is what I don't want for her, but that is my concern when I watch her play and just seeing how hard she plays on the court. Because let's not forget, like, this is not her dictating play a lot. Yeah, she does have the power to do it, but she's also one of those players that chases down every single ball. She punishes her body day in and day out on the court, and I'm just concerned that this is going to be the narrative that we associate with her going forward. Yeah, I really hope it isn't, but you're right. I mean, it's reasonable to think that at this point because that has been the narrative over the last couple of years, right? And certainly since she won the U.S. Open. But, I mean, even before that, she 
there were times where she was having trouble staying on the court, right? So it, it's it's always going to be a storyline until she goes an extended time without dealing with mm-hmm. an injury, right? That That's the only thing that's going to make it go away, and I hope that starts now, right? I hope that she gets over the blisters, that she's able to get back for the hard court, that she has a great run at the U.S. Open, and then a year from now, we're not talking about injuries with Bianca Andreescu. We're talking about what a great year she's had on tour, but you're right. Until that happens, it's always going to be kind of the first thing that comes to mind when you think about her is, oh, man, she's so great, but as long as she can stay on the court. Absolutely. Um, from injuries in tennis to injuries in football. So Calgary Stampeders hosting the BC Lions last night. I know both of our markets were tuned into that. Looked like a beautiful night for football in Calgary. Danny Austin uh, was tweeting up some pictures and I'm like, oh, man, I would kill to be there right now. Anyways, um, <laughs> to two quarterbacks who are healthy or not healthy, I have no idea at this point. When you heard, I texted you. I'm like, Mike Riley is starting this game at about 15 minutes before kickoff. The BC Lions Twitter account tweets out, here's your starting quarterback, Mike Riley. And I'm going, excuse me, what? Yeah, it's after after the exact opposite happened last week, right? And then everyone, and, you know, we, we talked to Danny Austin yesterday, and, you know, he was basically saying, yeah, I mean, the Stamps are preparing for, for O'Rourke, and they're, yeah. or for Rourke, and they're, you know, they, they've got this special game plan because they're not going to be facing Michael Riley. And then, yeah, half an hour before, oh, no, no, Michael Riley's good to go. He's going to be starting. I will say this, Michael Riley, and whether or not he's healthy, there's gonna, there is something still, I think, wrong with his elbow, obviously. He said so after the game. He said, like, look, it's too painful for me to practice leading up, but we can manage it with treatment during the week that I can hopefully just play in games. I hope, hopefully that's not the case going forward, like, honestly, like, because that sucks for Riley and it sucks for the BC Lions, but... A Mike Riley that can throw the football better than he did in week one against Saskatchewan. I just looked at the offense. I'm going, he just commands the huddle. He commands the huddle. He is so confident out there. And he gives his teammates confidence. And it's just a complete, I think, flip mentally. And it's expected. A rookie quarterback, (laughs) you know, starting a second game in the CFL at McMahon Stadium against Calgary, who doesn't want to go 0-2. It's like that's a whole different narrative than Mike Riley coming in and trying to lead the BC Lions to a victory. Like, it's just it's so much more confident watching him run that offense. Well, and if that's him with a you know an elbow that's still hurting and preventing him from practicing, that's not bad, right? Because he had a great yeah. game, yeah, yesterday, twenty six and thirty three for three hundred and forty two yards. You know, didn't get into the end zone, but you'll take that pretty much week in, week out in terms of the completion percentage and the yards he was putting up. So again, it, it, okay, if that's you if your elbow hurting. You know what? We can live with that because that's still really good. The other question on the other side of the ball was Bo Levi Mitchell. And I want to talk to Julio Caravata about this as well, because I don't know if he's dealing with an injury, Jamie. We, he barely took snaps in training camp. We know that. And reports were it wasn't associated with the shoulder surgery and injury that he had in 2019 and the surgery following that. Uh, reports are that's healthy. Some were saying it was a groin injury he was dealing with in camp. And if that's the case, that would affect your throwing. That would affect your movement. Like, I don't know if you've ever pulled a groin I pulled one in high school and it's still to this day if I do make some sort of you know move it's like oh I can feel that twinge like it's always going to be weaker weaker than it was prior to the injury but it completely throws off your mechanics so if there is something wrong with the groin I could understand why Bo Levi Mitchell is struggling a bit I mean he had a decent game throwing the ball but also 
Does it have to do with confidence in his wide receivers? He's got a young receiving core that haven't proven themselves. Does that have something to do with it? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. That's why I want to talk to Julio and see what he saw last night and see what he sees from Bo Levi because something's just not right. Yeah, from my perspective, there's a bunch of different factors happening here, right? I think one is he's a little off. He's he's He wasn't making accurate throws. But the flip side of that is the BC Lions defensive front did a great job getting after him and putting pressure Shockingly, on him, right? So yeah. that, I know, and that that was, you know, when we were previewing training camp, that was one of the big questions, right? Was, okay, how is this young, you know, relatively inexperienced defensive line going to perform? Well, last night they did their job, right? They were putting a ton of pressure on Bo Levi Mitchell, and we know it, that's always going to affect a quarterback. Mm-hmm. When he's scrambling, when he's feeling the heat, when he's got hands in his face before he's throwing that's going to make life a lot more difficult so I thought that played a part and then also you got to give credit to the secondary as well I mean they make the four picks a couple of them were pretty spectacular picks on top of that and they had some big pass breakups as well so it's a combination of factors for me I mean Bo Levi Mitchell looked off but the BC Lions both the front and and the back of their defense the secondary they did their job really really well yeah and what strikes me as um what I like about the BC Lions secondary, which gave fits to the Calgary receivers, and this could have been because of the fact that Bo Levi Mitchell was a little off in his throws, but when the ca- when the DBs went up for the balls, it was either they thought 50-50 ball or they thought this is my ball. Um, yeah. They were very aggressive in challenging the receivers for the Calgary Stampeders on that fourth interception if Dave Dickinson had a timeout left late in the game. I kind of think he probably yes, would challenge because it did look pass yeah. interference by the BC Lions. But if you don't have that left and it doesn't come from the command center for whatever reason late in the game, then you know what? Four INTs and that's kind of the storyline of this game. So coming up in about the third hour, we're going to talk to Julio Caravada about that. It was a, like we said, it was a very busy night in the sporting world. One thing we haven't mentioned, and we'll talk with uh, Bob Nightingale coming up uh, on the other side of the break, is the fact that Shohei Otani went up against yeah. Vladdy Guerrero for the first time in their career careers <laughs> Shohei having fun out there last night uh when Vladdy hit that uh single in his first at bat Shohei's laughing and smiling going okay you got me this time kid next at bat strikes him out with a nasty slider and he's smiling yeah. once again he's going uh nah not so much yeah Shohei Otani was excellent he was really really good and yeah Vladdy got the single and then I think he took a walk but the single was you know it wasn't exactly like he got the barrel on it it was a pretty no. soft hit ball so you know I, I would chalk this up maybe as a draw maybe because his team got the win and he got the win as a pitcher leaning towards Shohei Otani it wasn't the fireworks necessarily that we that we were hoping for but it's still pretty cool to see you know the the, <laughs> the league leader in home runs on the mound pitching to the guy in second place right Right. like that that's just such a fun spectacle to watch it was pretty cool does it still strike you as odd that when you have Shohei Otani's on the mound you still got to go check the box score to see what he did at the dish Oh, like, 100%. I, I, yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I was reading uh, just a recap again, just to refresh my memory what happened. It's like, oh, yeah, he did this. And then he also went, you know, um, he was also leading off for the Angels. Yeah. Well, like, and then oh, let like, off the game with a double. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's, like, it's ridiculous. Scored a run as well. Like, it, it's just ridiculous what he can do. I do call him a unicorn, and I mean it completely complimentary because there really is no one else like him. And they're probably, I don't know, maybe, may, do you think this, just quickly before we get to break, do you think he is the outlier going forward still? or do you think other players will try and do this? I think he's still just going to be the outlier. It's a fascinating question. I think the there was kind of a perfect storm here almost that made him, that allowed him to do this, right? And specifically coming from Japan, I think, where 
you know, in Major League Baseball, in the minor leagues, they're probably not going to try to develop you as a two-way player, right? So right. the fact that he was able to Good develop point. in Japan and then come over, I don't know if we're going to see it again. Now, maybe teams look at the success of Shohei Otani and say, you know what? There's There might be a handful of guys that this is worth trying on. Mm-hmm. I won't write it off, but I don't think it's going to become – it's not going to become frequent ever. It's no. still going to be very, very rare. You also need a manager that's willing to allow a player to yep. do this. And Joe Madden is one of those players that thinks outside the box. And obviously for Shohei, it's working out for him. Uh, we're going to take a quick break on the other side. Talk a lot more baseball. Under 50 day games to go. A lot to still happen. But we'll discuss that. Some of the pennant races. The Field of Dream games. Game. And that much more. You're listening to Rintel and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintel. You're listening to Rintel and Sermon. Good pull, Greg. You're trying to to appease me with music today, aren't you? Because you know I'm going on vacation. It's the instrumental version too, so feel free to sing along, Karen. Yeah, I don't think I know the words. Uh, (laughs) Scott Rintoul, Karen Sermon, Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. My final show, Jamie, leading up to the uh, my holiday second holiday of the summer scott rintoul will be back with you in the hosting chair on monday wonder mm-hmm. if he'll be a little rusty he's been off for three weeks he's a pro though he won't be rusty at all yeah well we'll have to we'll have to coach him back get him help, re- regain his confidence on the mic i'm sure <laughs> yeah that's exactly what we need to give scotty regain him his confidence on the mic we're going to speak with uh, bob nightingale uh, mlb columnist with usa today shortly uh talk about the field of dreams game also talk about some of the pennant races in baseball Baseball right now, Jamie. It's a little disappointing in some of the pennant races, or at least the fact that we don't have a lot of them coming down the stretch. At least not right now. There could be some teams that get on a bit of a heater. But Tampa Bay, they're five games up on Boston. You have to think Boston reeling um, over the past um, half month, couple of weeks, that it's Tampa Bay's to lose at this point. The White Sox are just running away with the Central Division. Eleven and a half games up on Detroit, Houston, Oakland. That's the biggest one right now. I think if we're you and I were betting people. We'd probably put money on Houston. I don't know about you, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, one of those teams is going to be a wild card, and the other team's probably going to be in the division, uh, going to yes. win the division. So both are going to make the playoffs in some fashion. Yeah, Oakland's on a bit of a heater right now. They've won seven in a row, so they, you know, a lot could change, but they look to have a pretty solid grasp on at least one of the wild card spots. So yeah, whoever finishes second there is still going to make it into the playoffs. You'd think. Uh, closest division in baseball right now, the National League East. Philadelphia leading by a half game on the Mets. Atlanta one game back. Uh, I haven't been following this division too closely, Jamie. I don't know about you. If you were to pick, like, who's going to come out of this division, do you have a favorite just based on starting rotation, bats, anything? Uh, based on just incredi- the incredibly rudimentary metric of run differential, I would go with Atlanta. <laughs> but we'll right. see. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be an NL East expert, so I don't know. Uh, we got Cincinnati eight games back, Milwaukee in the NL Centro, and San Francisco. We're going to talk about San Francisco with Bob because we found out that a couple of our listeners, actually a few of our listeners, are pretty big San Francisco Giants fans. So we'll get the uh, deets on the Giants this season. But right now we're uh, pleased to be joined by Bob Nightingale, MLB colonist with USA Today. Bob, good morning. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks, Karen. Bob, I saw you were... Um, Writing about the Field of Dreams, a game last night. Were you actually in attendance, just to for our listeners? I, I was not. We had a uh, okay. reporter there from the Iowa paper. Uh, yeah, incredible game. Uh, you know, lived up to all that hype and, on the, you know, by the movie sets and everything else. So they'll de- they'll definitely do it again next year. 
What did you think, though, yeah, just in total, the production by Fox and, you know, just the visuals that we did see before we actually get into the what happened uh, in the ninth inning of the game? Yeah, I thought everything that, you know, Fox did was perfect, you know, just with the setup and, uh, you know, having Kevin Costner on the set, you know, the players walking in from the cornfields. Uh, you know, I don't know if the ball was juiced or what, but the ball was flying, <laughs> you know, which made good for TV. And of course, the players provided all the drama in the ninth inning with the uh, with the three home runs. So up here in Canada, we don't get to view unless you, of course, have the MLB package. Um, a lot of the White Sox games up here, they're one of the best teams in the American League, if not one of the best teams in baseball. But if you can just give us a little scouting report on the White Sox, like what makes them one of the best teams? Well, you know, they went through a, a rebuild and then, uh, you know, kept this young talent and it finally, uh, you know, emerging now. You know, I mean, you got Jose Abreu, the, uh, you know, the star of the team. Tim Anderson is coming to his own. And, of course, a, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez and a, uh, Luis Robert, uh, a star-studded rotation and, and a, uh, a nice bullpen, you know, which they fortified at the, uh, at the trade deadline. So just, yeah, this, this team should be around for a, for a few years for sure. I want to chat a little bit more about the White Sox, Bob, but just still in the Field of Dreams game, you know, you said they're going to do this again next year. I'm sure they're thrilled with how it was received and how it looked on TV. Do you think, in addition to just continuing this, are they going to explore, you know, other kind of novelty, one-off, made-for-TV events since since this one was such a success? Well, you know, they have the Game of Williamsport every year, you know, the Little League World Series. Uh, You know, what they're going to do, too, is have games at the College World Series. Uh, you know, they're going to do that a year ago before the pandemic whacked it out and have the draft at the same time since so many college kids are, are drafted. So, you know, they'll have one in Omaha, too. I'm sure they'll think of something. Maybe they'll, you know, come up with a, d- a different movie set uh, sort of thing so people can celebrate. Well, and I've heard of some people make the suggestion of, you know, can you do something near the, the Negro League Museum in, in Kansas City as a way to highlight that part since, you know, they, they established it as a major league. And I wonder if that's a route they go down in the future as well. You know, they could. I mean, the trouble is the, uh, you know, Coffin Stadium where the Royals play is only 15 minutes away. So, you know, I, I could see it, something like that, but you might as well use, you know, the, yeah. the Royals Stadium so so close. Uh, the old ballpark. You know, was torn down, and you know the Wells used to play there. You know, back in the day at the old uh, Municipal Stadium, so uh, could do something like that. But I, but I think what throws it off is just that the you know Coffin Stadium where the Wells play is just so close. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, back to the White Sox for a second. You know, I, I know there was a lot of skepticism among some circles, among fans, uh, certain fans of the White Sox when they hired Tony La Russa. But it's obviously been a, a huge success so far, right? They're one of the best teams in the league. What has he done to make it work with the White Sox? I just think stepping in that door, you know, with the respect he has and uh, obviously being the Hall of Fame. And he knows last year those guys kind of took their foot off the gas pedal, coasted uh, down the stretch, cost them the division title, and also, you know, uh, cost them the uh, first round of the playoffs against the Oakland A's. So I just think, hey, we're going to do things uh, – you know, the right way here, hey, go ahead and flip bats and stuff like that, but always respect your opponent. Uh, you know, let's, let's let's be focused here. We thought that, you know, focus got away. And so now, you know, now they've done that, and, uh, you know, he's like the, you know, the father of the team and look up to him. And yeah, they know they're not going to get out manage any game. They know they have to do things right. So I just think he kind of got that focus, focus in there. 
because it's not that much of a different team than it was a year ago. We're speaking with Bob Nightingale, MLB columnist with USA Today. Bob, obviously the Yankees, the Jays, they're behind the Rays in the division. Looks like the Rays, I mean, they just continue. We'll hold on to that division, but obviously they're fighting for a wild card spot. When you look at the Toronto Blue Jays specifically, they split games against the Angels uh, this week. They came off a 9-2 and record at home, but that also coincided with the trade deadline. What's your read on this Jays team right now? Well, I think they'll definitely make a run for this wild card spot. I think the Rays will run away and hide as far as winning the division. Uh, but yeah, the Blue Jays are an exciting team uh, to watch. I, I think a, uh, you know they have as good a chance as anybody, uh, you know, with, with the uh, Yankees and the Red Sox to get that wild card spot. I, I think the Oakland A's will get one spot, either Oakland or Houston. So just one spot will come from the East. And I do think the. Uh, you know, the Jays kind of remind you of the White Sox as far as uh, up and coming, where, you know, the White Sox time is now. I think the Jays time is a, a year from now. You know, they may be the favorite to win the Halos. Do you think it's one of those things for the Blue Jays? Obviously, they made the wild card last year, but that was an expanded wild card with the weirdness of the COVID season. When you look at this Jays team, is it something that, yeah, it is a little a year too soon, or if they get in, they can make some noise? I think they can make some noise, but I think they're a year early. I, I, I don't see them like, getting to a World Series, even if they got in. I don't think they're quite there yet, but, but they're knocking the door. I think, I think next year uh, is their year. You know, it wouldn't surprise me you know, one bit to see the uh, Jays you know, get to the World Series and you know, win it for the first time since, uh, what, 92, 93. Uh, just sticking in the AL East again for a second, Bob. You know, do you, do you think the the Red Sox can right the ship a little bit down the stretch here, or have, are the struggles we've seen from them recently, you know, just reflective of the fact that maybe they were overachieving a little bit earlier in the season? Well, I think they're definitely overachieving earlier on, uh, Jamie. And now, you know, they kind of hit a wall. Um, and the starting pitching was really overachieving. You know, they're not quite the same. Uh, you know, the offense is, you know, they just scored 20 runs two days ago, but, you know, they're not quite the same. Uh, so we'll see. When I mean, Chris Hill comes back on Saturday night, you know, they, they need him to be the Chris Hill of old. I'm not sure we'll see that or not, but just kind of, uh, you know, do a big boost for the whole team. So I don't know. I think of the, you know, of the wild card scenario, I, I do think the Yankees and the Jays have a better chance than the, uh, than the Red Sox do. Over to the NL East, that's the, the most exciting divisional race down the stretch for sure. You have the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves separated by a game with the Phillies in first place right now. How, how, who do you see as the favorite to claim the division crown there in the NL East? And I've been all over the map on this one. I mean, I, I thought you know, the way the Mets were going there for a while, I thought, thought they had it. I picked Atlanta before the season started, and then, you know, Philly came on. Uh, I get the sense now it's going to come down between Atlanta and Philly. I don't discount the Mets, but just the way things are going for them, who knows if Jacob DeGrom comes back, if he comes back, what's it going to look like? Um, yeah, I give a lot of credit to, uh, you know, Atlanta and uh, Alex Antopoulos, you know, he's been the GM uh, of the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. for be- being that aggressive. And they look hopeless for them. Uh, they were by far the most aggressive team, uh, you know, with a team that, you know, look like they're out of it. You know, they were under 500 at the time. But to get four outfielders and uh, two uh, pieces of, for the bullpen, uh, you know, love what they've done. And, and the players have responded. 
Are you surprised that Alex Anthopoulos decided to go that route and go in and try and go for it, especially with what you said, where their record was, and the fact they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. for the season? Yeah, I was surprised. I, I didn't think they'd be that aggressive. But, you know, Alex Anthopoulos' quote said the best thing about being in the NL East is that we're the is that we're the NL East? It's just that the, <laughs> of all divisions, you have a chance to uh, hang around because it's so uh, so flawed. So you know, if they were in the inner division, I don't think there's any way in the world they would do that. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, you know uh, great great for Atlanta and great for those guys in the clubhouse for the GM to show that hey, we're not giving up. Or in some other cases, like in Seattle, you know, they kind of waved the white flag. They were giving up, and the players responded by you know losing right away. I want to head to the NL West because we've got a lot of listeners on our station that uh, we found out this week, Bob, are pretty big San Francisco Giants fans. They've got the best record in baseball right now with a winning percentage of 643. They're 8-2 in their last 10. They've won five in a row. What has led to the turnaround for the San Francisco Giants? Well, they're, uh, they're so deep. Uh, you know, it's like if they can throw a right-hand lineup at you, a left-hand lineup, uh, you know, that sort of thing. The starters have stepped up. But the veterans, instead of having them all break down and get hurt, they've done well. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Crawford, Brandon Crawford's having a, uh, you know, MVP caliber season at shortstop. Buster Posey is putting up numbers as well as he has his whole career. You know, Brandon Belt has stepped up. So just, yeah, they just, you know, it's one of those magical seasons. And there's a, uh, they lead the National League in the home runs, but doesn't look like they'll even have a, uh, any hitter that's going to hit 30 home runs. Just a, uh, they get the big hits at the right time. Just a lot of little things are going right for them. I mean, the pace they're on right now, you know, the 643 winning percentage, they haven't done that uh, since 1913. <laughs> so uh, it, it's stunning. You know, I kept thinking they're going to fade. Uh, I obviously don't think that anymore. And, and I'm starting to come more convinced by the day that they're going to win this division. You know, the Dodgers have won eight straight, made the big move at the trade deadline with Scherzer and Trey Turner. But, you know, they've got a five-game lead now. we got less than 50 games to play. Uh, you really sort of like their chances. Well, and I think one of the most impressive things, Bob, about the Giants is that they're doing it in a division with, you know, the Dodgers and the Padres as well, two teams that a lot of people would have picked as, as World Series favorites going into it. They're doing it in one of the most top-heavy divisions in the league, no less. No, you're right, Jamie. I mean, uh, you know, Dodgers have a $275 million payroll, the largest in, uh, in baseball history. You know, Padres have all their star, star power. But look at the Padres now, you know, shoot, they're nine games out of first place. Uh, you know, Darvish hasn't been the same guy. Neither has Blake Snell coming from, from uh, Tampa. So I don't think they have a prayer to win the division. But, you know, they should win the wild card. So it'll be them against the, uh, you know, the loser between the Dodgers and Giants. But right now, it certainly looks like, uh, you know, they'll be playing the Dodgers in, in a one-game playoff, uh, while San well, Francisco, you know, should be playing the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, and a, um, a Dodgers-Padres one-game playoff would be pretty uh, entertaining television, I think, as well. But, you know, just on the Giants, as you said, this is kind of a surprise, and, and you, you've been expecting them to fade off, but now you're getting convinced. Do you think they, they can do some damage in the postseason, postseason, postseason as well and even be a legitimate World Series threat? Well, I think they'll be underdogs, you know, in every round they play. But, you know, uh, saying that, they were underdogs in, 10, in 2010, 12, and 14 as well when they won the three World Series championships. I mean, I would think they'd be a decisive underdog against the Brewers that first round. 
But, you know, hey, the, you know those guys uh, seem to know how to win. They still got some guys left from that uh, that 14 team and 2012 team. So, but, you know, it's kind of cool to see what they do. Uh, the Giants are going to be scary because they have a lot of money come off the books this winter, too. So they're only going to get better. Uh, so, you know, they, they could do another little mini dynasty here before we know it. Just quickly before we let you go, Bob, because we didn't touch on this division, but this is the other closest divisional race in baseball. It's the American League West. Houston, of course, leading that division by one and a half games on Oakland. Uh, the A's have been on a bit of a heater as of late. They've won seven in a row. If you were to put uh, money on who you think come out of this division, who do you think has the better roster to come out ahead? I think the Houston Astros do, but I don't discount Oakland. Uh you know, I think before the season started, that was my World Series pick was the was the A's. Uh, I think losing Ramon Laureano hurts a lot with the PD suspension. But they're a sneaky yeah. good team. Uh, I still think Houston's better, particularly offense. Uh, you know, they got the veterans, you know, know how to win it as, as well. So I, I like Houston over Oakland, but I think Oakland's got a chance to do something special this year. Hey, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today, giving us your insight. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the uh, races down the stretch as we race for October. All right. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Jamie. That's Bob Nightingale. Thanks so much. MLB columnist with USA Today. Looking at the San Francisco Giants team, we're getting some love in the inbox saying thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for asking some San Francisco Giants uh, questions, Jamie, because they, the listeners did say, okay, you're going to talk about the Jays, you're going to talk about the Yankees. Can you please talk about the Giants, who are the best team in baseball? And, yeah, surprisingly, the best team in baseball. Buster Olney is having a pretty impressive season. And Gabe Kapler, you got to give him some credit, too. Like, he's only in his second season on the job with them. And the, what he's been able to do to turn them around and make him a very well-rounded ball club, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and then, and what Bob said there about them is their depth, right? A, yeah. An incredible amount of depth. You know, they have Brandon Crawford just having an exceptional year as a shortstop, leads the team in home runs, but they've just got a ton of really good players like farther down the roster as well that are putting up good years for them. And it's it's a really fascinating thing because sometimes you'll see – you know, a team that people didn't expect to compete for a division and they're leading in August. But if you dig down into the numbers a little bit, you'll say, ah, they're actually pretty vulnerable, right? Like their run differential isn't that good. You know, maybe they've mm-hmm. been lucky in one run games or whatever it is. But I mean, San Francisco looks legit. They they just look like a really, really good team. You know, if it was a playoff series versus them and the Dodgers, I might still lean towards L.A. just because of the yeah. talent. But this isn't a fluke run from San Francisco at this point. They're just a, a really quality team. You make a good point about the fact that right now in the National League wild card, it's the Dodgers and the Padres that do hold down the two wild card spots. And a one game playoff, like we've seen the series between these two oh, uh, yeah. already this year, like that would be incredible fireworks. You got to think like Fox is thinking like if we have this game or TNT, whoever shows the wild card thing, they're probably fighting to have that game because that's a little bit more dramatic than say having Toronto or the Yankees or Boston against Oakland or Houston, whoever fi- finishes in the wild card spot. But yeah, I was looking at the San Diego Padres and what they did this offseason. Obviously, they've got they made some big moves. They, you know, they bring in Blake Snell from uh, the Rays, you Darvish. You've obviously got Fernando Tatis Jr. went healthy as one of the most dynamic players in baseball. Like a single game wild card for them, I think would be a disappointment when we thought what the expectations were with this lineup and the fact that they had the expectations that they were going to make a big push in the postseason this year. 
Well, they wanted to challenge the Dodgers at least for the division, right? That was probably internally their goal was beat the Dodgers for the division. I think the Dodgers and the Padres were probably entirely focused on each other going into the year, right? And that right. that was certainly the narrative. And you remember the early season series between the two that was so exciting. Like, I think they, they were probably both looking at each other saying, okay, we got to beat that team. And they weren't even expecting uh, the Giants to kind of come out of nowhere and, and lead the division. And you're right. It probably will be a, a disappointment for them. But I will say... Say, and just to echo your point, I mean, the star power of a potential mm. Padres Dodgers matchup in the in the wild card, and the fact that it's a pre existing rivalry that's right. appointment viewing right there. Like that is that's as good as it gets for a one game playoff in Major League Baseball, right? Because you have, you know, as, as, as Bob said, they went out, the Dodgers went out and got Max Scherzer, right? You have him going yeah. up against Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Mercado, right? Like, there's so many interesting storylines and, and so many fun, exciting players to watch there that I, I kind of hope it happens. I hope the Giants do hold on and that we get to see that in, in the playoff game. I will say this. I was not a fan of the single-game elimination, probably because of the fact that Jays have played it, <laughs> played it that, that year, and it was just like, oh, I don't want to have to watch this play. And it's there's a lot of heartbreak that can happen if it's your team playing in a one-game single elimination because anything really can happen. I mean, there's yep. so many different ways that a game could go. You could be the odds-on favorite, and it doesn't matter because it's one game, and who is their best stuff in that situation. But for someone who doesn't have a rooting interest, give me the Dodgers, give me the Padres, give me Chavez Ravine, and give me all the lights of a game kicking off at five o'clock with the sun setting over the Hollywood Hills. Like it just, the script writes itself. Yeah. And I I'm with you, Karen, where I'm a bit more of a, of a purist when it comes to baseball in that yes. way. You know, if, if I was made commissioner, I would probably go back to not having the one game wildcard play in, but I also understand why the league likes it, right? Because oh. you have the possibility of getting a game of this magnitude and a one-off elimination game that you know people are going to be tuning into. And I would even look at the uh, what we saw at the NBA going into these playoffs, right? Oh, don't they instituted the play. Well, they instituted the play-in <laughs> games, and they got LeBron and the Lakers versus Steph Curry and the Warriors, right? Yeah. So they got to cash in on that idea, and it basically it's not going anywhere now, right? Because they've seen the potential. They've seen what kind of numbers it can do, and I think it's the same thing in baseball, right? As much as you and I might not like it, they're going to be hooked to that money, to that attention. I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Money and attention. It's amazing what those two things can do. One hour in the books, a couple more to go. Damian Warner still to come on the show. Jamie, Julio Caravada as well. That's coming up in our third hour. We're going to speak to the Olympic gold medalist, the best athlete in the world. I wonder if he gets embarrassed hearing that or he's just like, no, I earned it. I, I wouldn't be embarrassed. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like requesting that I be introduced as such. <laughs> Hey, make sure when they – I'll do the interview, but make make sure when they yeah. introduce me that they say I'm the world's greatest athlete. Come on. Yeah, with, with the caveat that every time they introduce me, it is yeah. the world's greatest athlete. Uh, we're going to talk about that – or with him, sorry. I don't think we're going to ask him that, but we'll talk with him in the third hour of the show. Next hour, though, we're, we haven't touched on this yet, Jamie. We're going to touch on it uh, at the top of the hour and the bottom of the hour. Single game betting is coming to Canada at the end of this month. What exactly does that mean for our country? What exactly does that mean for your pocketbook? That's coming up in hour two of Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Hour two of Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul, who will be back on Monday morning with Jamie Dodd because I will be on my vacation on Monday. Jamie, you know how I know the world is starting to get back to normal? How? I got an email in my 
email today, hopefully, went to my inbox, um, yes. <laughs> from a travel insider that I follow who always sends deals out of YVR. And of course, that's Vancouver's International Airport. And <laughs> for the first time since basically COVID hit, I got one today with flight deals to Maui. You can fly to Maui from YVR round trip for Canadian dollars, $354 to $378. That's when you know the world is back to Not normal. Not bad. Right? That's not bad. It makes me question. I got to look at the dates because usually when yes. he sends these out, they're like weird times. It's like, you yeah. got to leave Tuesday morning at 945 and then you yeah. come back, you know, but still just to think about the fact that I'm getting travel emails about actual places that I can start to go to because obviously the federal government has relaxed rules coming back into Canada with um, if you're double vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine for 14 days anymore. You just got to prove a negative test on both sides of the airplane and then you're good to go. So uh, it's just kind of a nice sign that, you know, hopefully we're getting back to normal. I know numbers are rising everywhere, but still it it makes you hold out hope that I will be able to get yes. on an airplane and go to Maui sometime soon. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Next, next six months or something. Yeah, for sure. You, you can make that work. Absolutely. So one of the biggest stories to come out yesterday, and we didn't touch on it yesterday, Jamie, I wanted to do a little bit more reading on it before we got a, did a kind of deep dive, was the fact that symbol, uh, single game wagering is now good to go or will be good to go August 27th in Canada. The federal government passed this bill to legalize individual sporting events that you can gamble on. Now, it doesn't just say you can open the floodgates. Like, this is not all of a sudden, okay, just go. Like, it is they're leaving it up to the provincial governments to kind of figure this out. But basically what this means is in BC, you can go to uh, playnow.com or in Alberta, you can go to playalberta.ca and you can make a single game wager or prop wager that you hadn't been able to make before because before you had to do at least a three-game parlay teaser if i'm not mistaken um yeah yeah right? and there were props as well i believe you could you could yeah. make some prop bets and maybe you had to parlay those but j the basic could could you go and bet on you know are the canucks gonna beat the flames tonight no you couldn't do that before you couldn't bet on the super bowl that kind of thing that would mm -hmm. be legal now so Basically, what the Canadian government wants to do is bring the money back to Canada because up until now, or at least legalize the money back in Canada, because up until now, um, according to an announcement by the federal government, you got to laugh at the wording of this. This is hilarious. Canadians spend about $10 billion a year on single sporting events as part of, of betting conducted illegally in the black market by organized criminal networks. An additional $4 billion a year gets spent by Canadians in the so-called gray area market in offshore jurisdictions such as bets. Uh, where bets are illegal. I love the uh, black market by all yeah. these criminal networks. Like I don't know about I don't know about ten billion. I, unless people are going to a lot more like underground betting parlors than I than I understood. Like most betting happens in the gray market, as I understand it, online, right through like kind of offshore yes. sports books. So I don't know. I don't know about those stats, but whatever. Sure. I just love how it's like, it's a little fear mongering uh, there. They're like, okay, well come do it legally with us, but don't do the black market. And I mean, I yeah. guess obviously we've all heard the stories of, or at least the movies, you know, back in the day, owing your bookie and getting your kneecaps. Like, uh, hit, how hit many, how many people are betting with organized crime still in Canada? That, that surprises me. I don't know about that. One. <laughs> I don't know either. I think it's a little, a little iffy on their research and that, but, but, but basically most people will use websites or apps. Like I use Bodog. Personally, uh, you there's Bet365, there's Bet99, I think is another one that you can use. But the two popular ones are probably Bodog and Bet365. But they're offshore. They're, you know, Bodog is in the UK. I think Bet365 is as well. I don't use it, but it, it's at least not here in North America. So the question is, is like, why is this important? 
Why is this important for Canada? Why is this important for Canadians? I guess more for Canada and the Canadian government and the provincial governments. It's like, okay, well now we can control the money coming in and we can have the money coming in. And in general, like BCLC, when they do do these 50-50s or any of their betting in the past, and the same with PlayAlberta.ca, the money does go to a good cause, right? Versus Bodog Bet360 that's probably just going into some person's bank account, basically. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I think it, it's... You know, you're right because look, everyone, if you want to go place a wager on the Super Bowl, it's very easy to do that already, yes. right? You got to get online, but you can do that. But I do think it can give potentially people a little bit more confidence, you know, maybe maybe a little bit easier to access, right, than, than trying to go through some offshore websites. So I think that's one of the uh, immediate impacts we might see in addition to, you know, governments being able to recapture some tax revenue from this and, and whatever mm-hmm. else, being able to monitor the money more easily. There's that side of it, obviously. But then I think. What's really interesting is what this means for, you know, sports media and sports Mm -hmm. teams and how they're able to now that it's officially legal and you don't have to kind of wink at it or anything like that. How are they able to kind of interact with sports betting more? Yeah. And you've seen this like sports entities and leagues are now welcoming this. It's no longer faux pas. It's no longer like in the background. We can't talk about betting. It's become legalized in numerous states in the United States and not just Vegas anymore. And it's become part of a viewing of games. I remember a couple of years ago when the NFL first partnered with gambling and betting and it was like Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth were talking about not necessarily prop bets, but just talking about bets on like the Sunday night football game. I'm thinking, wow, Al Michaels is talking about bets on a Sunday well, night football to broadcast. Be, to be fair, Al Michaels has a long history of kind of winking at it, right? You yes. know, like the the famous example of, you know, if if a team uh, if there's a garbage time touchdown that doesn't affect the result of the game, but but changes maybe who covers. You know, Al Michaels yeah. would give you the old, well, some people will be interested in that <laughs> one, right? Like he would do that. But now you're right. Him and Collinsworth can actually say, you know, the Patriots were five point favorites in this game, mm-hmm. right? Or or whoever they can actually talk about it out in the open, which is a big change from how it used to be. Well, and even yesterday, I was watching a bit of the broadcast before the CFL game. I know it's on another network, but I'm going to just talk about it because it was interesting to me because <laughs> they were just talking about the fact, okay, Mike Riley's going to start this game, and someone asked Milt Stiegel about, well, Milt, does that change your Calgary bet six and a half, right? Like, they're talking about this on these broadcasts because just gamble, gambling is more welcome place, and it's they're partnering with these leagues now. And I also think where this comes into effect is we saw the Arizona Cardinals. They're going to be the first NFL team to put a sports book in their stadium, right, Jamie? And you think about – I'm surprised actually the new Vegas stadium doesn't have this, but say you take, you know, the Saddledome or the new the – new, arena they're going to build in Calgary. They'd be smart to build a sports book in there uh, or at least put that in their plans. If you look at Rogers Arena, you know, with the Aquilini's look at changing part of one of the um, the concourses to be part yep. of a sports book because if you think about, say, you and your buddies going to a game, how often do you get caught talking with a beer in your hand in the concourse, watching it, you know, whether it be at one of the bars in Rogers Arena or wherever the case is, but you're talking, you're watching the game on the video screen, not actually in your seats, and you're buying beers there as well. Could you imagine you put that in a sports book where you could put wagers on the game, wagers yep. on any other sporting event, plus you're buying beers. So that money is going directly to the Aquilini's pocket or Rogers Arena, who are, which the Aquilini's own. Like, there's just a whole other avenue of revenue around how people sports bet. 
Yeah, and it remains to be seen how how each individual province is going to to handle these questions, right? Because it, it, what what the federal bill does, as I understand it, is basically say it's legal, but it's up to all the provinces to decide how they want to regulate it. So theoretically, a province could say, "Listen, we're the only game in town. If you want to place a single game sports bet, you have to come through us." I don't mm-hmm. think that will be the case, right? Because you know, we've seen it with legalized marijuana, right? There's government stores, yep. but then there's also private stores. We've seen it with liquor stores, right? Same thing. There's government stores and there's private stores. So I expect we'll see something like that model, right? Where, yeah, the government is going to obviously, you know, dip its toe in the water and they're going to want to cut of that directly and operate some sports betting as they already do. But I would also expect them to open it up to private operators. And that creates the opportunity for exactly what you're talking about, for potentially a pro sports team to to have a sports book on site. And you're right i mean you just think about you know not even just betting on the game itself but betting on props right like mm-hmm. you go to a canucks flames game and you know you've had a couple beers and and in the first intermission you go and say hey i want to take uh i want to take the prop uh, will elias Pettersson score in the rest of the game right because hey he, yep. he's been flying he's been flying out there he's had some great chances he's definitely gonna pot one right or you know how many how many more shots on net will matt kachuk have for the rest of the game that is, I think, going to end up being a huge market, right? And, 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 you know, every individual bet that's placed isn't going to be huge, but you add it up, you get people invested, you, you advertise it in the in the arena, in the venue, and I think it, it's going to become a much more normal part of being a fan at a sporting event sooner rather than later. Well, I think a lot of people like to have cash in hand as well, right? You go and you make a bet right there and you can cash it in right there. You're going to yeah. get your money. And if you cash in big, what do you do? Well, hey, but guys, let's go buy to some the drinks. bar after the game. Let's buy yep. some drinks, you know? It's it's different than if I've got an account with Bodog where I see it go up and down. I've never cashed out. Yeah, and it, it can be kind of a process sometimes. It's pretty easy, but sometimes it takes a little bit of time to cash in or cash out or whatever you want to do. So that's another part of this, right, is the, the ease of the usability, the ease of access. So it, it'll, it remains to be seen how this will change everyone's day-to-day betting. If you are a gambler, will it make you bet, bet more? You know, if you're casual, are you still going to stick with your online account that you have right now with whatever offshore account you use? Or, I mean... Uh, BCLC has an app you can just go on there and playnow.com and so is it more of ease do you feel more comfortable doing it through a government agency versus doing it through somewhere where you don't know where your money is it's there's a lot of questions that have to be had around all of this uh Jamie it's just um it's a first step in something that I think has been necessary for this government to make in uh that has had been necessary for this government to make for a long time like it's it's weird that you can you cannot up until august 27th make a single game bet in canada it's really weird well and it's just the kind of thing and it, it actually reminds me a lot of marijuana right because you know here in vancouver like there's disp- there were even before it was legalized there were dispensaries almost oh, yeah. every block you know it's it's it was fundamentally legal just not in name and it's the same thing with betting like everyone bets we know that right it's very easy to do it's happening so if you have a situation where look it's happening it's out there why why keep making it illegal right why not make it legal Mm -hmm. and then you at least you can regulate it you can tax it you can do whatever you want so you're right It, it just makes too much sense not to happen this into the uh, 650-650 inbox and text us with your comments, 650-650-969-60. Uh, Joe and Smithers says, how do they come up with a dollar amount that goes to organized crime? That's a great <laughs> question. I have no idea. 
It's the most bizarre thing that I read when I was reading this story. It's like, it was a CBC story I was reading. It was just like the quote from the federal government. $10 billion to black market by organized criminal networks. I honestly, like when you think about it, like I just, maybe because of the ease of doing the offshore betting, like I don't even think of people going to their bookies anymore. I guess it happens. Maybe a little bit more with the older generation. But but to like a more than two to one ratio with online booking that ah, I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe there's this huge underground betting network of bookies and mobsters out there (laughs) that I'm just completely unaware of. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that to me. Also, I like this text in the government is the modern mafia. Well, you you could argue. You could argue that, I suppose. Uh, There could be an argument to be made. Hey, we're going to talk about a little bit more with this at the bottom of the hour with uh, Stephen Brunt, co-host of the Writer's Block on the Fan 590 in Toronto. But, Greg, let's get to what they're saying. You talk about betting (laughs) and a league that's trying to dip its toe and make it a revenue generator, not just only a revenue generator, but to put eyes on its product, the CFL. (laughs) And what has happened the last couple of weeks with the BC Lions, Jamie? Uh, Will he or won't he start? Who is starting? Obviously, the line is made last night for the Calgary Stampeders BC Lions games. It was made with the expectation that Nathan Rourke was going to start at quarterback. He was the... Uh, he was listed on the depth chart as the starter for the BC Lions. So whoever, whichever sporting book made the odds for the Lions, they had expected when they put those lines out that it was going to be Nathan Rourke at quarterback. Mike Riley ends up playing the game. He ends up starting. He ends up playing very well and leading the Lions to a victory. And he was asked after the game about, is are the Lions being deceptive with his injury? If anybody thinks that we're being deceptive, I mean, I'm sorry that they think that. But uh, to be quite honest with you, I don't care. Um, you know, I want to win football games and right now, uh, I can't practice during the week because I'm not healthy enough. So I'm limited and I'm going out there and throwing, but our head coach literally came out and said that Nathan Rourke will be our starter with that being said, Mike Riley is going to be ready to play if we can get him healthy before the start of the game. So, you know, I I don't know how we can be any more clear than that. Um, you know, we don't know if I'm going to be healthy enough, if my arm's going to feel good enough. Uh, until we finish warmups. And, you know, by the time we finished warmups, I was jogging off the field doing a TSN interview on the sideline. Um, and they were just told that I'd be starting. So, you know, we'd made that decision not minutes before that. So we're trying to be as clear as we can. And outside of that is football. So get over it because injuries happen. And if guys are healthy to play, uh, they're healthy to play. And that's, that's my response to it. One, he has to throw a quarter in the swear jar because he called himself yes. Mike Riley, yep. not Michael Riley, who I've been trying so hard everywhere in my notes. Jamie, I have Michael Riley, like a big Michael, Michael, letter. Michael, yeah. Michael, not Mike Riley. Um, a couple things here. Look, the BC Lions aren't doing anything wrong. We have to say this in how they're following the injury reports, how the injuries are announced. It's just when two weeks in a row there is the expectation that one thing's going to happen and then the other does. It does. I I could see the frustration for maybe the league and maybe from betters because of the fact you have, you're going in, you're expecting this to be what the case is going to be. And then last minute, Mike Riley suits up for the BC Lions. Mike Riley quarterback for the Lions is a massive, massive upgrade from Nathan Rourke. And no disrespect to Nathan Rourke. You know what? Bo Levi Mitchell, if he doesn't play, 
He is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not the best quarterback in the league up until maybe what we've seen this season, but that could be injury related. But if he last minute doesn't start, I mean, the Calgary Stampeders best chance of winning is when Bo Levi Mitchell is on the field. So I, one, I don't think I'll bet on PC Lions football games this season. No, not for a while anyways. Yeah. But they you have to be, it has to be told they're not doing anything wrong outside the rules. It is like, I don't know though. It is odd when, were you really giving us all the information about who's most likely to start though? Right. I mean, that, that's the question I have, or was there a little bit of gamesmanship here or because it seems, and you know what, one of the things they're saying is like, well, we said all week, you know, if he's good to go, then he'll go. But if what you're saying is, oh yeah, I can't practice that I can manage pain, but I can do the pain management to get through the game. Well, shouldn't you have known that more than half an hour before the game? And I understand there's the final check-in with the doctor and all that, but it does seem like if I'm the league, I'm I'm calling the BC Lions and saying, okay, how can we fix this, right? What what can we do to fix this? What needs to change on your end to fix this? Because this can't keep happening. Like, as you say, Karen, sports betting, we're trying to make that a growth area mm-hmm. for us. And it's not just theoretical. I mean, I saw people on Twitter yesterday, you know, I forget exactly who it was, but said like, Hey, Nathan Rourke's going to get the start here. I like the under on passing yards for the BC. I like the under on Brian Burnham receiving yards. Uh, and I think I like the under for how many points they're going to score. And I think all of those missed, right? Because <laughs> Michael Riley got the starts. So, I mean, people are putting money out here, uh, down out here based on the idea that Rourke is going to get the start and they're getting completely jobbed as a result of it. So, Look, maybe they are following the rules to the letter of the law, but if I'm the CFL, this is not a tenable situation right now. No, and it's not ideal for a league that's trying to gain traction in any way possible with a different aspect of the fan base. Like, <laughs> I would have been really pissed if that was the case, because it's not like you're betting on will Nathan Work have the over-under in passing yards. It's will the BC Lions have the over-under in passing yards. So it's not like you can pull your bet or your bet is rendered useless or they'll cancel it because Nathan Rourke's not playing in the game it's you did lose your money and yeah I can see what the league's frustration is uh television partners were not happy yesterday pregame show Matt Dunningham was not happy when uh this came out because he's like saying like guys like you've been talking all week like you can't play just because you give the one caveat if he's healthy he will play well Everything that we learned up until game time was he was not healthy to yeah. play. So I get, I do get the frustration. What the Lions are doing are within the, the guidelines of the um, of what the league is. But yeah, I do think that uh, <laughs> they're going to be getting a phone call from Randy Ambrosi at some point this week just to say let's let's figure this out going forward. Uh, also last night, let's hear from Tim Anderson. We're going to move back to the Field of Dreams game. He's the one who hit the walk off home run for the White Sox to give them the win. And he says, you know what? We gave the fans a show. Um, you know, man, our first time here, you know, in the field of dreams. And, uh, you know, to, to be able to make a memory like this is definitely, you know, definitely leaving a mark. Um, you know, the, the fans came to see the show. And, uh, you know, we gave them a show tonight. Tonight was a, you know, exciting night. And uh, it, it was fun to definitely play uh, in this atmosphere. Uh, it's over. You know, once I made contact, I knew it was over. I knew it was out. Uh, you know, but these are the moments you want to be in. Uh, you know these these big games like this. This you know this this is when the time to show up. And uh, you know we we played a great game all the way through. And uh, you know we was able to finish it. And uh, we got the win. Uh, it, it was so cool, man. You know uh, seeing the fans yell. Uh, you know seeing my teammates excited for me. Um, and, you know uh, I was telling everybody let's go home. You know we got we got the win. And uh, I think that's what we came to do. And uh, you know we finished the game for sure. He knew it was gone as soon as he hit it. 
Jamie, I think we all knew it was gone as soon as he made contact with that. But you have to give credit to the number nine White Sox hitter who was batting before him to get on base because he was 0-2 against Zach Britton, and he ends up managing a walk to get on base to give Anderson the possibility of that two-run shot to win the game. Uh, So kudos to that batter who extended his at-bat and got in base. But still, it's, uh, you know what, for everything that went down yesterday with the Field of Dreams and how awesome it looked, like the ninth inning, exactly what Fox wanted. The Yankees coming back to lead, then the White Sox winning the game. I mean, you really couldn't have asked for anything more perfect in a in a situation that they had in Iowa in the cornfields. Well, it's the kind of thing that if there if it hadn't been a great game, if it if it had been a blowout or if it just been dull, you know, ended four one or something, and and not much happens in the later innings, you know, people would have tuned in, people would have liked it, gotten a chuckle out of it, and then they would have moved on. But the fact that it was such a such a thrilling game, and you got those last inning heroics from Tim Anderson, that's going to, I think, make people remember it for a lot longer. And it's going to create a lot of momentum towards Major League Baseball doing these things because people have such good memories of this one because of how it ended. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quickly, let's get this one in before we go to break because we spoke with Julia Grosso yesterday. We've heard from Stephanie Labe. We've heard from numerous members of Canada's gold medal winning women's soccer team talking about the possibility of having either a domestic league or teams within the NWSL in Canada and the commissioner of the NWSL, Lisa Baird, spoke on it and she spoke on the urgency to get a franchise to Canada. We've been looking at Canada, um, look, I'd say for a while, but since I've been here, I've been a joke, but it takes, the first first thing is it takes great ownership. Um, We have an interesting model, which is we're a single entity, um, uh, we're a single entity organization, and so the owners um, buy a share of the league, and having great ownership and ownership that's committed for the long term is a very, very key part of the equation in addition to the fan community. And I've been in conversations with many people. You know, actually, even some of um, the athletes um, are, are athletes who, you know, now, um, you know, kind of retired and have had conversations. So the conversations are ongoing, but definitely the gold medal, you know, it, maybe it's time. We'll see. Uh, but it starts with great ownership, a great stadium. We want the best training facilities for people. We want staffing, et cetera. So there's, you, you, as you said, you can't turn on a, a you can, I would say you can't turn on a dime, but I'll say you can't turn on a gold medal. But um, clearly it's something to take to take into account. And when I see our athletes take to social media like Christine Sinclair um, and say, you know, how supportive they are, that, that definitely that weighs into the equation. Two things, Jamie. One, strike while the iron's hot. Like, you've got the yeah. momentum of Canada winning this gold medal. Like, if they're not looking at it in the past, they should be looking at it now and thinking, like, this is the time to do it because we don't know when momentum in this country will be as strong as it is to have female soccer, a professional female soccer team or league. I will also say it doesn't sound exactly positive when I heard her listing. No, and I, specifically I will say, you know, if, if the first two criteria are great ownership and uh, a great stadium, the, the white caps are probably not going to be involved in this process because I don't think anyone considers that they have either of those things in place right now, which is a little disappointing. Unfortunately, they have the training facility. 
that. They do have that. But yes, I will agree with you on that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, Bill C-218, the fact that Canada is going to have single-game betting. What does it mean for our country? What does it mean for sports franchises and leagues in Canada? We'll discuss that next with Stephen Brunt, co-host of the Writer's Block on the Fan 590. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. This is Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie Dodd in for a vacationing Scott Rintoul. Uh, Jamie Richard Deitch, uh, just uh, who is the co-host of the Writer's Block, who our next guest, Stephen Brent, uh, the show that they co-host together, just tweeted out, um, and I mentioned it earlier, regarding last night's Field of Dreams game, based on overnight ratings per sources, final numbers out later today, Fox is looking at its best metered market rating. So the rating for the largest media market cities in the U.S. for an MLB regular season game since 2005. There you go. Yeah. So this is why they do go. it, right? Yeah. If, if That's the thing, right? Again, we can roll our eyes and, oh, it, it's hokey and it, it's kind of cheesy and it's just for nostalgia. But if it gets viewers like that, yeah, they're going to keep doing it. Absolutely. And I was thinking more about this because the NFL does its Hall of Fame game um, every year. But it's preseason, right? Like it's it's ahead of the Hall of Fame. It's really not a big deal. It's, it's, it means something to the, I think the teams that get to, chosen to go play in that game. But if you look at I talked about the NCAA doing on an aircraft carrier, we've seen the NHL, but you could even say it's not so hokey like this but like look at the nfl look where they go play games they've gone to london they've gone to they go to azteca stadium in mexico city like all of these leagues are just trying to figure out ways to get more ratings to get more people viewing their their product and if you don't like it it's too bad and i know i've said i've i'm kind of had it with the nhl outdoor games like it's not must see tune in tv like it used to be like new year's day i barely watch that game anymore there's college football games that yeah. are important on you know for new yep. year's day but but initially you know back when it first started it was like okay this is must watch for me because it's an outdoor game on new year's day it's really cool the venue of a football stadium somewhere like it's just it's lost its luster but when you look at what it does for ratings and sponsorship and ticket sales like it's 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 here to stay they're going to keep trying to find ways to bigger and better yeah and, and it's big in those markets too and i think that's another huge part of it right especially for the nhl that is always trying to break through in certain American markets, right? Having an event like mm-hmm. that that can get people on the ground into the stadium, first of all, to see your product, but also talking about it leading up to it, I think is, is mm-hmm. a really big deal for the NHL too. Uh, we're joined now by Stephen Brunt, co-host of the Writer's Block on the Fan 590 in Toronto. Good morning, good afternoon to you, Stephen. How are you today? Yeah, good morning, good afternoon. I'm, in, uh, I'm actually in Newfoundland right now, so I'm four oh, and a half time zones away. There you go. You're on the exact opposite coast than we are right now. How is Newfoundland? I've never been. What's the East Coast? Is it one of those things where I need to make a trip? Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Now, I've, we've had a place out here for 20 years, so I'm, oh, I'm, wow. a, bit bi- I'm a bit biased, but uh, it's been good to get back out here post-pandemic. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't travel out here last year, so um, right. we're, yeah, no, it's a beautiful part of the world. It, uh, it's, I, I highly recommend a long trip for you guys, but I highly recommend it. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that would be definitely a long trip. Man, yeah, do the red the the red eye so I could sleep overnight. Uh, Stephen, we were talking before we got in, and we're going to get into the uh, the Bill C two one eight that just passed by the Canadian government. Mm. But did you watch the Field of Dreams product last night? The the broadcast. I saw a bit of it here. It was a little tricky to find, but I saw bits and pieces of it. It was quite. But I, I it was um, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. 
So your co-host, uh, Richard Deitch, was tweeting out the fact that like this is going to be the biggest um, viewing for regular season games when it comes to metered market market ratings since 2005. Like these, I don't want to call them hokey because they're not, but these catchy type of things that MLB does, that NHL does with an outdoor game, like these are here to stay, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I, I think because they become destima- destinations, and even even more than than championships do. Um, you know, because you draw non you, you draw an audience beyond the hardcore. You draw a, just kind of a, a, a like that game. I'm sure a huge part of the audience that tuned in for that game you know, doesn't necessarily even you know follow an MLB team day to day, week to week. That but they saw the movie or they read the book back in the day. Um, you, you can understand why you know why you would get a curious audience for something like that. And, you know, sports more and more, like baseball is very much a regional game now in the United States. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, it's nationally, weirdly, it's more national in Canada with the Jays than it is anywhere in the U S it, you know, the world series is not the kind of, is, is nothing like the super bowl in terms of a culmination event. And, uh, so the, the other, to, to find a, a, like a true national audience for baseball, probably require something like that just as you know to, to get a true national audience for hockey in the united states the outdoor game has drawn in a bunch of people who wouldn't you know who who wouldn't follow the nhl day to day week to week well and Stephen, that's that's an interesting point about the regional aspect of it and, and i was just kind of making the point when you were joining us on the line that i think that's a benefit for the nhl in these kinds of things too right because if they play a game at at Fenway Park or at Wrigley Field, I mean, that's a week leading up to it where they get to kind of be a, a major part of the sporting discourse in Chicago or Boston in a way that they're not normally throughout the year because there's so much competition for them those in those markets. And I think there's a similar thing with Major League Baseball, right, is, yeah, you get the national audience, but you also get to really dominate the discourse in whatever locality you're going to for a little bit leading up to it. And that, that has positive benefits, too. Yeah. Oh, sure it does. Yeah, you, it it generates a conversation for sure. It gets you visibility in in certain markets. Um, you know, it gets you kind of above the day to day noise in the sports calendar. Just uh, you know, like the NHL especially has found a way. You know, they've obviously the New Year's Day game, and they they do games beyond that. But to you know to grab a day in the sports calendar, which was you know previously just college football, but you know the big college football bowls now are not played on New Year's Day. You know, a lot of the the the, the playoffs are played later than that. So they, they they kind of created a space in the middle of the winter, which is not an NFL day, um, and, and and you know which they kind of carved out as their own. It, it's it's been very clever. Like I was you know like the first time around in back in the day when they had the first game at Edmonton, I remember thinking, well, this is cool, but we'll never see this again. Uh, I was you know I was skeptical about them being able to pull it off year after year that the novelty value would wear off, but you know it appears that you 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 can go back to that formula. Um, like I don't, I wouldn't say they've all been equally successful, but it's had it's had way more staying power than I ever suspected it would. In conversation with Stephen Brunt here on Sportsnet 650, so the news comes out yesterday, Stephen, that the federal government is making single game betting legal. That goes into effect on August 27th, and then it'll be up for the provinces uh, to decide how they want to regulate it individually. Just looking at the immediate impact in the near term, who in the sports landscape in Canada stands to benefit the most from this? Well, the leagues all think they're going to benefit from this. Um, you know, the, the the CFL especially thinks they're going to benefit, like almost to the point where they're, you know, I know where it's like a lifeline. They they are given what they've just gone through, losing a season and and you know the kind of precarious, the ever precarious financial state of the CFL. They're they're treating this like it's it's salvation, um, but. 
you know, they're not alone. Like the NHL has a has had a gambling department in the works for you know for a long time, you know, which is about which is mostly you know not so much about. It's not like they're going to get money from every bet placed on their teams, but it's more about proprietary data and being able to sell proprietary data to people to 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 gambling companies because that data has value. Um, but yeah, every, look, you know what's happened in sports in in the sports business in general is that you know a lot of the ways to find new money have kind of flatlined. You you know TV rights TV rights deals. The next one is still bigger than the last one, but it's not. You know, exponentially bigger the way it used to be. You can only charge so much for seats. You can only put so many luxury boxes into a stadium or an arena. You know, all of that kind of added value stuff that they've used to to grow their businesses beyond, you know, the growth in equity for teams, which is the big play for an owner. We know your team is worth way more than you paid for it. Uh, but the 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 one kind of, you know, the the one horizon that they had not been able to approach until legalization was gambling, because they knew how much you know they could see how much money was out there being wagered legally or, you know, illegally uh, on their product. And, thought, well, there's got to be some way we can tap into this. So that's, I, I'm, again, I, I wonder if it's going to be as much of a bonanza as they think it is. I, 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 will, I guess we'll, I, and I, I'm not saying that I understand fully how much value there is in proprietary data. Maybe there's more than I suspect. Um, will it drive more interest in the sports realm? I don't know. I kind of I think the people who gamble are already gambling. That you know, there's lots of ways to gamble, and you know, do you drive more interest by having that above the table? I I I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I you know I know there's lots of places, you know, you know other countries where you know gambling around sports, like directly around a sport, like the Premier League in England, you can for years and years you've been able to place a bet right in the stadium. You can go downstairs and Ladbrokes has a little counter, and you can you know you make your bet when you buy your you buy your beer and your pie. So I I I think it's fine. I got nothing. I got no problem with it. I I, I do wonder though if if it's going to be quite the uh, the cash bonanza that you know again, especially the CFL seems to think it's going to be. Well, and I think the other aspect of it, Stephen, is that from a media standpoint, that you know us are and I guess our bosses in the media yeah. are going to try to get a slice of that pie as well. I, I thought it was pretty funny actually last night watching the Field of Dreams broadcast, which is of course you know based on nostalgia and this kind of the purity of the American pastime, but it's also sponsored by FanDuel and there's betting segments sprinkled in throughout. And I thought that was really just a sign of the times and it's going to be a huge part of media coverage going forward too, isn't it? It is absolutely, you know, the company we work for is, you know, one of those companies like Rogers and and sports through Sportsnet. You've seen the ads for all the offshore gambling sites that are all dominating, you know, the web, the, the David Hasselhoff commercials and the, Neymar Jr. commercials and all those Euro sites that are suddenly advertising on North American TV, right? That, um, but I think it's also going to be, I think the other thing people will notice is, and it's already happening, is, is just more overt conversation about gambling in conventional sports broadcasts. It's, you know, it's always been kind of uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? You couldn't talk about it because the leagues didn't want it be to be part of the content because you know, back in the day when they were worried about uh, corrupting their game with gambling, they they you know they got people got fired for talking about gambling on air. But now it's the opposite. It is like again, everybody wants a piece of this pie. So when you watch a hockey game or you watch a football game or a baseball game, you're going to more and more and more you're going to hear talk about you know spreads and lines and uh, over unders as part of a conventional broadcast. Like that's it's already it's already happening. 
but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be very, very obvious that uh, that there's a you know that there is a partnership among the broadcasters, the leagues, and the and you know and the, and the gambling, uh, you know the the gambling companies. Um, they get you know all, all of that kind of before we know exactly how the provinces are going to try and regulate it. We're speaking with Stephen Brunt on Rintoul and Sermon, Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul. My one thing when I was thinking about this, Stephen, was the fact that, like, if people are gambling already, I mean, a lot of people do it on offshore online. Like, you can do Bodog or Bet365. Like, how is this going to make any difference to those people if all of a sudden it's like playnow.com or playalberta.ca is allowing you to bet? It's a, it's a great question, and I honestly, I don't know. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, like when when the provinces originally got into the gambling business, the sports gambling business, with you know parlay cards, um, I people who were serious gamblers, and I am not one, but, you know, but people who were serious gamblers turned their noses up at them because they said that's a terrible way to bet. And you know, we can bet offshore. We could, there, you know, well, you could still bet through your local bookie too. But you know, we're going to take our business offshore where we can bet of individual games and 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 get the kind of you know get the kind of return and get the kind of odds that we we think are fair so they like that never that that stuff never worked for um you know hardcore gamblers so you know i I, will it'll be interesting to see how the government you know part of the reason the government did that is i think you know they were kind of half in and they were half out in those days right it wasn't legal obviously single game betting wasn't legal but there was this kind of was kind of family friendly you know sports betting right we're going to make it feel like a game not not like somebody you know Making a making a, a hushed phone call to to somebody doing something illegal, uh, you know I I'm sure they made some money on it, but I I, I don't think it ever I say I don't think it ever threatens serious sports betting. We'll we'll see if they have how they're going to get into this. Now obviously the provinces every province jumped wholeheartedly into casino gambling. You know mm-hmm. started out with lotteries, and I remember the in the at the beginning of it said, well there's no chance we're not going to run blackjack tables. We're not going to have slot machines in this province well you can find them in every province in canada now it's a you know it's a slippery slope because you know from a government point of view it's found money it's it's voluntary taxation so it'll be you know i think they will aggressively pursue the revenue you know now whether they're smart about how they compete with you know other gambling concerns yeah we'll we'll see we've seen in the u.s the arizona cardinals they've have been the first team that's going to announce that they're in their stadium they're going to actually have a sports book and i was actually really surprised that allegiant stadium uh didn't have a sports book in with the new raiders stadium but still cardinals are doing that do you see this to become start to become the norm in north america eventually yeah i do i think that's that's the next logical step and again you know around the world it's not as i mentioned the premier league but lord knows i i, I remember i was at the olympics in norway in 1994 and you mm-hmm. could bet the olympics on site at the Olympics, you know, you could bet the ski jumping in Norway. It was a government thing, but you you could gamble on individual Olympic events. And in Australia, um, I covered the Australian Grand Prix a couple of times. You could bet that on site. Um, so that that is kind of the norm. Um, and of course, you don't you know you don't necessarily need a physical sports book. All you need are phones. So mm-hmm. I, I think that you know you're going to be able to get people while they're sitting in their seats. Uh, and I and I yeah the, I think the attraction of that, you know, betting apps, gambling apps, um, will become increasingly important. But I I would think uh, individual teams and individual leagues are going to be able to try and reach their people, those people while they are are sitting in place, while they know they're you know paying rapt attention to their game and try and get more money out of their pockets. 
Steven, I know you've covered and followed the CFL for a long, long time. What have you made of the league's return to play after a long absence through, you know, week one and one game last night between BC and Calgary? Well, it's, I'm glad they're back. You know, I, I, I think they were facing kind of an existential, well, they were facing an existential crisis period over the last few months, and I'm not sure it's over. But, you know, they had to get back on the field, the period. They had, they, they, you know, they, they, everybody else found a way to play last year except them. So I think just to put a flag in the ground, it was important. You know, obviously they're not playing in Eastern Canada yet, but that's coming. Um, you know, the product to me early has kind of looked like a league that didn't play for a year and didn't have a preseason. It, it you know, they, there haven't been a whole lot of barn burners. Um, <laughs> no. But, but I, but you know, but the people who love the league are, you know, certainly very excited that it's come back. I, the one thing I will say is that you know, and again, I know people, CFL fans especially out west, don't like to hear it, but. Um, in Toronto, the 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 return of the Toronto Argonauts um, is has been like it's crickets. There's yeah, the Toronto Star is the biggest newspaper in the country. Um, you know the, now newspapers are not what they once were, but it is the largest newspaper in the country. And they didn't even have a, they didn't even have a wire story of the Argos' first game on their website. So hmm. that that tells you something <laughs> that. Uh, so that that's still going to be the big challenge here. It's not going to be filling the stadium in Saskatchewan. That's going to happen. It's it's going to be Toronto, Montreal's, you know, Vancouver, um, to a lesser degree maybe Ottawa, but you know I, I keep a keep a close eye on the three biggest markets in the country because well, and as you alluded to, Stephen, you know, this season, let's say knock on wood, it goes off without a hitch. It, it has the potential to be this kind of great feel good return to play for the CFL, but. You know, as you say, there's there's still some big questions looming for the league, even if this return to play goes off extraordinarily well. Well, here's the thing. You know, the the reason they didn't play last year is because teams, individual teams, said we're not going to play because it's just a guarantee we're going to lose millions of dollars, and we're not willing to do that. And the reason they got into that conversation with the XFL people, you know, got in conversation with a league that you know, really barely exists and has failed twice already, was because there are teams in the league saying we're not going to keep doing this year after year this business we cannot make money the way this business is structured so we've got to come up with something else here or we're out and that's still true like that didn't you know go away and as much as you know again folks in the prairies especially say wait you know what's wrong with people in the big cities but they need the big cities for that league to thrive they they you know they can't operate as a six-team league it's not going to work so that yeah that 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 really has not changed and i Look, I've I've been watching football in Southern Ontario for a long time. Um, I I don't know how you make the Toronto Argonauts work, and I don't know you know. And I think the story in Montreal, which is not covered as closely as that, but you know, Bob Wetnall owned that team for a long time after they came back from Baltimore. He never made money, he, not in any season mm-hmm. of their existence in Montreal. Did they did he make money? And then he threw the keys on the table. So and it's not like they it's not like they were a bad yeah. team in Montreal during that period when they first went back either. No, they were a great team for year after year after year after year, right? They 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 had no losing seasons for god, you know, was it a dozen years or something? So mm-hmm. it yeah, they, there are there are issues here and if you know, and if you look at those two cities specifically and those two sets of ownership, um I think if you want to know, you know, who was most gung-ho about trying to come up with something different, that those would be the first two places I would look. 
Stephen, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the statement that True North Entertainment, of course, the owner of the Winnipeg Jets, came out with. And we just saw actually some breaking news coming down from the federal government today saying that COVID vaccinations for commercial air passengers and travelers mm-hmm. on rail and marine vessels will require, you'll have to be vaccinated to fly within this country. And that's expected to come into place no later than October. So federal government's taking steps. Independent businesses like the Winnipeg Jets are saying, look, for we want to pack MTS place this fall. And for us to do that, we're requiring double vaccinations. We saw them, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, require double vaccinations to get into the Bomber Games earlier this uh, month. But the Jets are taking a lot more heat just because it's not heat, I should say. But the vocal minority is being a lot more vocal on the Jets because it is the NHL. But for owners that have had their stadiums, arenas dark for the last year, for them to be able to pack them and have this idea that we can do it with double vaccinations, do you just expect this is the tipping point, the first organization to do so? I, 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 let me say, I hope so. Um, I don't know. Um, mm. it, but I think it is a solution. Um, like I'm sure there's going to be people grumbling about this and saying that their rights are going to be violated. But you actually don't have the right to go to a hockey game you know, or, a, or, or a football game. That's actually not constitutionally uh, guaranteed. Um, you know, you, it's a privilege. Um, and it's a privilege of having the resources to go. There are lots of people who can't afford to go. Um, but other conditions can be set by that business. And, and I you know, like I, I, I don't think you'll be able to challenge that one in court. And, you know, as somebody who would happily go to one of those games and is looking forward to being back home and going to a baseball game as soon as I can, uh, I wish I knew, you know, I wish I knew right now that if I went to the Rogers Center and sat at a game as somebody who's had both vaccinations, that everybody around me had also had them. That's, I, I, you know, look, I, um, if you travel around the world, you often, you, have a, you have to have a series of shots to get into various countries yep. for various reasons. Um, I've traveled all kinds of places. I used to have a little yellow card with all of my vaccines on it and had to have them updated. If you put your kids in school, they have to have a series of vaccinations to go to school. Um, you know, the, the latter is way more important than going to a football game or a hockey game or a baseball game. But I think that decision, I, you know, again, I think the decision of True North is a great decision. I think the Bombers did the same thing for their, for their opening game. Mm-hmm. And I hope that other teams follow suit. Um, you know, I know that there will be blowback in some places, but I believe, you know, I'd like to think that the, well, given that the vast majority or the majority of us have been vaccinated, um, that same majority would feel better if the people around them in those situations are vaccinated. Look, I want to start going to concerts again. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I want to be in crowds and uh, we have a solution here. And I think we ought to utilize the medical miracle that has been handed to us. <laughs> Well, I 100% agree with you on that. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your summer out east in the Maritimes, and uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Stephen. That's Stephen Brunt with the Writer's Block on the Fan 590. We're up against the clock. Going to take a quick break because on the other side, we're going to be joined by Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, Damian Warner. He's up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd in for Scott Rintoul.